Morena, it's a whanau. <laughs> um, you, you guys are so used to just hearing a portion of it every time. And uh, I think it was Bono from U2 who said, a really good song is better live. Right? If it's played well live, then it's a, it's a, it's a classic. And, and I thought, I'd just show you the full song. And that was actually at a church service. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah that, was, that was just us. That was just a yeah, normal Sunday for us. Um, before I go on, I do need to mention one thing. My oldest turns 26 today. <laughs> Isabella is 26. And officially this year, I am double her age. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're so old, Bella. Oh. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear Bella. 
Um, do I need to give you the $5 because I mentioned you on the sermon? It's $1, is it? Yeah, um, there's a running joke in the family because I do present a lot of family stories and then the girls when they were young, they're like, well, every time you talk about us, we got to get a dollar. And I'm like, okay. I don't think I owe them quite a lot of money actually. <laughs> um, so this morning, okay, you've seen what a church service looks like when it's on fire. You've heard a song that's not just been restricted to a studio, but played live and loud. This morning's topic, it's the last one on our Warrior of Fitness. I don't know if it's part of a Warrior of Fitness, to be honest, actually. It's the ignition. Is it? Well, it has to turn on, doesn't it, right? <laughs> well, that's the funny thing about ignitions, right? I mean, I was really struggling because every week I start with, you know, what the topic's on, on, on what part of the car, and then I give you a question, right? And, and the question I came up, this wasn't the question I came up with. The question I came up with actually is, what turns you on? But I, I just didn't feel comfortable putting up, I just shared it though, eh? Um, <laughs> uh, last year, last September, Monica and I, it was our anniversary, 3rd of September. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> oh man. You know, when you start talking and you realise, oh, where am I going with this now? Um, oh, yeah, I do that every day, baby. Don't worry. <laughs> um, so we, we, went, we, went, we went out to, uh, to Petonia. We went and had a dinner and then we went to a movie. And it was about 11 o'clock at night. We were walking back to the car. And we got into the car. And oh, now it's a push button. It's not even a key anymore. Went to push the button and nothing happened. It's 11 o'clock at night in this little parking lot behind the uh, library there at Petoni. It's all dark. I think there's only like three other cars there. And I'm thinking, no, this is not happening. Because it always happens when you don't want it to happen, which is always, basically. But anyway, um, push the button again and the lights just flicker. And I freak out. Now, there's only one person on earth that I feel very comfortable calling at whatever time of the night, day, whatever it is, and I know he'll always come. And that was poor Alan Escott. I called him up at 11 p.m. that night. I don't know what to do, man. My car won't start. Don't worry, I'll be there. He's over in Kelson, right? Boom, in a car, comes down, plugs in the whatever he does to the battery thing, gets it going, and it starts up, and we get going, and we go. Well done, Alan. Everyone's getting applauses today. Um. But it was, you know, that moment where you start to think, I love the sensation of turning a car on because it feels like there's power. You know, the moment you turn it on, you feel it, you rev it up, you're like, yes. But there's also this sense that just by turning the key or pushing the button these days, um, I'll stop it. <laughs> um, you know, get it going. And then you're literally out of control. Because once it's up and running, you, you, you don't know. So it is a fair question to ask. What is your ignition? What does, yeah, turn you on? How do you get going? And I'm not looking at this from a worldly point of view. We're in church. I'm looking at this from a Christian point of view. What is our ignition in our Christian lives? What starts us up? 
What gets us going? Now, we all have hobbies, we all have interests, we all have things that really get us going. But in your Christian walk, what's the ignition? I would argue from a biblical perspective that it's got to be worship. It's got to be this thing called worship. The Jews, the Israelites, they had it in the middle of their camp, in the middle of their city, this big symbol called the temple, which was all about worshipping God. It was right in the middle of their lives, in the middle of their town, in the middle of their community. This thing called worship. So what does worshipping God look like for you? Now, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a journey here. I'm going to offend pretty much everybody in the room, um, as I do pretty much regularly. But the challenge I'm going to put to you is, is just how, how, does, how do we worship? And I'm going to start, strangely enough, with this question. God loves me just the way I am. Does he? It's a trick question, isn't it? Is he, is he waiting for me to answer someone saying, no, I'm just going to let it percolate a little bit. Because then the challenge I've got for you is, if he just loves us the way we are, why Jesus? Now, don't get me wrong, absolutely he loves us. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And we use this a lot to justify being ourselves, doing our thing, being our way. When the Bible goes to almost extremes to teach us that now that we follow Jesus, we are not our own anymore. In Ephesians, with the Lord's authority, I say this, Paul, who rarely does this, you know, calling on, I'm saying this is God's authority. God's telling me to tell you this. He doesn't do it often, but he does every once in a while. He's doing it now. Live no longer as Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. The, 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 the Message Bible puts it a little bit, <laughs> well, I, I prefer it personally. The empty-headed, mindless crowd. Stop becoming, being like that empty-headed, mindless crowd. And he goes on, for they refuse so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. This challenge for us not to just be ourselves, that we're challenged by more. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 to 16, don't lazily slip back into the old grooves of evil doing just what you feel like doing. You didn't know any better then, you do now. As obedient children, let yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. The challenge again, that we can't just be as we are. In Luke, Jesus saying, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, 
take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. The message puts it like this. It says this, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I will show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way. Uh, I've shared this a couple of times. I, I subscribed to Nick Cave's Red Hand Files. And this morning, as I came into the office at, at 7.30 this morning, I sat there and I saw the new little post pop up in my email and I read it and it was fascinating. A guy was quoting Marilyn Manson who was saying, the only way a true artist can really be a true artist is through drugs and addictions because that brings out the best in us. And Nick Cave responded, no, 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 no. that's a cocoon that you live in. You know what's actually really difficult is living life and everything that hits us without being cocooned by addictions or drugs. It's scary, fascinating, and thrilling at the same time to live life. And I challenge it by saying, as Jesus says, don't run from it, embrace it. But not just that, follow me. Self-sacrifice is the way. Not indulgence. Galatians 2.20, Paul goes on, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's just one thing after the other, after the other. This challenge to give up ourselves, to not just rest on this idea that God can accept me just the way I am. He sure does, but he doesn't want you to stay there. Don't use the excuses to allow you to stay exactly where you are. Because the whole point of worship is giving up everything that you are. So what does worshiping God look like according to God? What's God's view of how we are to worship Him? It's, you know, I've shared many stories around my experiences of leading music teams and worship in churches and how for many years, no matter which country I worked in, no matter which congregation I managed and led, worship tended to be the one thing that divided us all. The type of music we sang, the music I didn't like, or too much music or too little music. You wouldn't believe how much people divide over these things. You wouldn't believe it. It's almost like it's about them, not about who they are worshipping. Psalm 95 is a great psalm if you want to really dig in to what worship is. It's really simple. It's very straightforward. It says everything that we know is true, but it just verbalizes it so well. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him, for the Lord is a great God. 
a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The seas belong to him, for he made it. His hands form the dry land too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. Isn't that powerful? It's just simple though. And everything in that that we read, we're like, yeah, 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 that's cool. But what does that look like for you and me? I mean, what does that look like practically in our everyday life? Simply put, worship starts with this word, surrender. The whole point of Sunday morning, it's a discipline, yes. There's fellowship, yes. We're connected as a body, yes. But it's an act of surrender. It's a moment in your week where you stop and you say, this time is not for me, it's for him. And while, you know, I, I, when I went to Bible college, it was the late 90s and, and the emerging church was just coming out. For those of you who don't know, that caused a number of splits and divisions as well. But the whole emerging church was just encountering God where you are. And it was great, you know, because I didn't have to go to church anymore. I could just have a church service on a beach or, or while I'm having coffee with friends. But what that missed was I was just doing what I want and adding God to the mix rather than doing what God wants. In his pace, place, there was very little surrender. It took me years to figure that one out where I began to realize that as much as the sentiment was good, I was just really doing what I want. What is the greatest point of surrender? Salvation. The moment you acknowledge that you cannot do this on your own, that there is nothing but Jesus it's the greatest point of surrender. It's when you lay before him and say, it's all yours. I can't do this. I can't do this. The Israelites had to do this regularly. Be reminded that they can't do this. Sacrifices at the temple right in the middle of their community. And we forget that the temple is actually a symbol of what's going on in heaven. Hebrews chapter 8 says this, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy, a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown on you, to you on the mountain. The temple is a pattern of worship that God put out. And many of us really don't know what the temple's all about anyway. God's heart in worship is right there. And it begins with surrender. It begins with surrender. There's also another word. Oh, actually, let me share this. Carol Wimber makes this comment, which I think is powerful. She says, worship is not a vehicle to warm up the congregation for the preacher or to soften people up for the offering. Worship comes from Jesus and goes back 
to Jesus from us. Everything he gives to us, but worship belongs to him. I've lost a lot of people, good friends, when they've come to me and say, I don't like the worship, and I tell them, I don't care. Don't take it up with me. Because I'm not singing to you. They're not playing for you. We don't pray to make your ears tingle. This is what worship is actually about. It goes back to him. It's a point of surrender. It's also a point of submission. Oh, I hate that word, don't you? Oh. Us guys get away with it because we can quote a verse on it and point to others. Ladies, us guys are worse. We hate submission. We don't like being told what to do. We've been taught in a world not to live that way. To stand on our own two feet, to be strong, to push back. And while those are good qualities, we're also called to submit. What's the greatest act or the greatest point of submission? Let me just stand underneath it. The creator of the universe, the word made flesh, chose to die on a cross. Greatest point of submission. Philippians 2.5, Paul says this, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It's an absurdity. Greatest act of submission. And we're called to be like that. And we're called to be just like that. So when it comes to what is worship in your life and what does worship in God look, it does look different for a lot of us. And honestly, for a lot of us, we don't like the music. That's okay. It's not about liking it though. It's about submitting. It's about surrendering. And for you, it might not be, you know, raising your hands and jumping up and down and mosh pitting and, and all of that. For some of you, it might be something that's a little bit more quieter. You don't want to close your eyes. You want to sit down. But it's in the uncomfortable spaces. It's in the places where we don't feel comfortable that we can give more. We can surrender all and submit to the God of the universe that we say we love, that we follow. Uh, 29 years, I think it is this year, Ma, that we've been married. I've known her for 33 years. And love challenges me to change. My relationship with her, when she first met me, who I am today, is that I'm a different person. There's about 50 kilos more. The long hair's gone. I'm a different person. That's not because of love, by the way. That's sometimes me not submitting or surrendering. But love 
challenges me to change. I think we like to just sit on the couch and tell God we love him. And, you know, that's not love. Love changes us. Love shapes us. Love chips away at us. Pulls us apart inside out. That's what love does. And when it comes to worshipping your God, that's the greatest act of love. It's surrendering yourself, submitting yourself to him. As we read the psalm, come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us be shout joyful, joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Come, let us come to him with thanksgiving and sing psalms of praises to him. For he is a great God. He is our God, king above all kings. He holds all things, the heights of the mountains, the depths of the sea. They all belong to him. He shaped them. He shaped us. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are his people. In what ways are you surrendering to God? In what ways are you submitting to God? This is your challenge this week. And as we've gone through 12 weeks of unpacking a car, which has been very instructive for me in a lot of ways, I pray that spiritually you are unpacking your own relationship with God. And that as you come now to the end of this series, you will now be challenged by in what ways are you surrendering to him? In what ways are you submitting to him? As this series ends, in the next week we'll be starting a new series where we're going to unpack a lot of this stuff. We are going to talk about what God wants from worship. As we talk about how do we communicate, pray, meditate, connect with God. Because all this is good and well, and I could preach your good old sermon and tell you funny stories and all, but you'll walk away and some of you will be scratching your head thinking, how can I surrender to God? And some of you will be sitting, I don't know how to submit to God. Don't think of solutions now. Just let it sit. Let it sit within you. Hold on to the question. And be challenged by it. Don't fall in that typically Western mind of trying to find a solution to everything. Hold on to it. Let it sit. Let it gestate. Let it bubble in you. Father God, forgive us, Lord, for when we when we push our way. Forgive us, Lord, when submission is really not on our priority list, Lord. Surrendering to you, well, sometimes we always seem to be on the attack. Forgive us, Lord, that there are times in which we 
want to exert ourselves. We need to prove ourselves. Forgive us, Lord, that sometimes in our stubbornness we sit with our arms folded, not appreciating that this is actually a time to unfold our arms and give ourselves to you. Don't know what that looks like in our daily lives, Lord, and I don't know what each of us here are struggling with or are challenged by. But Father, ignite our worship again. Ignite our engines. Many of us may be feeling a bit more like the prodigal child that have been out wandering. Father, for some of us, our batteries are a bit flat. Ignite us again, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. Just a sheep, just a sheep of his hand. Let's stand and sing that. Here we go. Come, let us worship. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord.